Welcome back, everyone, to Uninvested, the all things entrepreneurship, tech, and venture capital podcast. As always, I'm Craig Talloway. I'm Sile Seth. And today we return to you with another installment in our monthly interview series. Today with the one, the only, Andrew Gazdecki. Andrew Gazdecki is the CEO and founder of Acquire.com, a marketplace that allows founders to sell their startups to potential buyers. Andrew has founded more startups that you can count on one hand. He's also sold a handful of them. His journey experience are definitely inspiring. Sahil and I are very excited to have him on the show today. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Andrew, it's great having you on the show. Sahil and I could spend an entire episode on every single one of your ventures that you've done, but it's very clear that you have a real entrepreneurial tenacity. And I'm curious about where that got started. You know, Sahil and I have actually done a little bit of research. We, we think you grew up in Detroit, but, you know, correct us if that's wrong. How did that kind of contribute to those entrepreneurial roots and really just your entrepreneurial mindset in general? You know, candidly, you know, entrepreneurship right now, in my opinion, it's like, you know, kind of cool, sexy, glamorized. Everyone wants to be, you know, in VC or a founder. Um, uh, for me, it was more of a, a survival mechanism. Father passed away when I was six. I grew up pretty, pretty poor. Food stamps and stuff like that. And I and the the third part of it that just kind of like really kind of got me entrepreneurship was I moved. My parents moved from Detroit, which is a city that I don't recommend living there, but to a, a town called Sacramento, which is like a very affluent beach town. My parents just said, you know, they wanted to live the California dream. They kind of just picked up everything and moved there. And so just growing up there, I remember getting picked up. We were just talking about like, you know, middle school stuff. I get picked up in like a minivan of like a screeching like time belt. I remember just like, and then behind and then just escalades behind me. So I, you know, and I used to skate a lot too. So when you skate, your, your shoes get pucked up basically. And so I'd always be putting like uh shoe glue on it or I'd take like pieces of cloth. And so I'd go over to my friend's houses and they have these big homes. And I'm just like, how do you get this stuff? How do you get this like big house and this cool car? Like my parents never went to college. And so, yeah, it's like when I wanted a, a new skateboard instead of my parents buying it, I had to go figure out how to get it. So entrepreneurship restarted early. I mean, I when people were, I always joke when people were collecting baseball cards, I was selling them. When everyone was trying to collect all the, all those damn Pokemon cards, I was selling them. Yo-yos were big. I sold those at an eBay store when I was like 13. I, and what I would do with that was just find misspellings and stuff like that. So I was just like a natural kind of hustler, you know. I just always find ways to try and make money. And then just kind of fell up with it. You know, I just fell in love with kind of business as a game and like every business I started after that was like incremental. I read all the early, you know, startup books. So that's kind of what shaped entrepreneurship for me. And then I ended up going to um, Chico State. We call it Harvard of the West, <laughs> oh, if you're familiar. As an Angelino, I've actually heard the term many times. But I went there specifically with the goal of leaving with the company. I didn't want to get a job. A book I had read really early was a book called How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. Everybody talks about it now, but I was like reading that when I was like 18. Basically, it was like you got to start a business if you want to you know, be rich one day. So that was my goal. And I had four years to figure it out. So every year in college, I would start a different business and I'd get more sophisticated, more complex. And then I ended up with business apps, which is a drag and drop all app builder towards the end. And that's how I got started. I definitely see how you got into entrepreneurship. 
where do your ideas come from? You're a four-time founder, three times exited. You're doing Choir.com right now. Where do your ideas come from? Do you ask people about problems and these problems you experience for yourself? I mean, the best place to start is always a problem that you personally experience. You want to find unique insights. So with business apps, as an example, I had a job board before that that connected mobile app developers with businesses. And I kept seeing people post the same job over and over. Like, for example, a mobile app for a high-end hotel or something like that. So you could book a hotel room. And they'd pay like fifty to like $100,000 for these um, mobile apps. And this is like right when the iPhone came out. And then there was do-yourself website companies, um, do-yourself, you know, social media. Like a lot of like self-serve templated ways to build this, you know, just other software application, whether it's a website or, you know, social media strategy. And so I thought, why isn't there like a do-yourself mobile app builder for, for businesses? And so I had that unique insight of kind of seeing like the spec and the scope and what people were paying for these. And I just thought, well, if I just build a template and just rescan it, maybe this could be a business. So I always say this one was really obvious to me. I knew the iPhone was going to be big in terms of just mobile apps and what I was seeing in college. Everyone my age had one. Um, when I started business apps, you know, we sold apps to kind of every restaurant and bar and, you know, hair place, you know, the reservations um, in the whole town. So it was kind of like early adopter, a great early adopter. I always say you want to look for like a paradigm shift in, in business. So something that is really obvious to you, but, but it's not obvious to others um, today, but will become obvious over time. So for me, it was iPhone apps are definitely going to have a place in business. That was extremely obvious to me. I was already seeing it. So I, I made a bet on that. And then, you know, here we are today and pretty much every business has um, a mobile app. Even, even Acquire, as an example, I made a bet that a lot of startups were being created due to... The cost of building a startup going down, the amount of information available was much higher than uh, what was around uh, in 2010. And so I thought people were going to be building, you know, uh, let's call them, you know, smaller startups where they're sub 10 million in revenue, bootstrap, built, you know, globally. The people that would help sell these businesses, you know, business brokers would charge 15%. I thought that was too high, too small for an investment bank. And then I thought a second trend would be entrepreneurship through acquisition, where more people, I kept reading about more people actually buying these small apps or startups and having a portfolio. And I was like, huh, I can see that being a trend. So in summary, the way I, I look for ideas is make a bet on something that's obvious to you that is unobvious to everybody else today that will become obvious to everyone in the future. I kind of see this dichotomy a little bit, right? Like there's... There's trying to be very aware of things that you think are developing in kind of an outside looking perspective, right? Like you're not necessarily experiencing these problems yourself, but you're seeing these things develop versus a lot of founders who are either running a business or they're working for a company and, and they're being affected by these things. And they're like, well, shit, why isn't there a better solution for that? This problem with, you know, originally MicroApply, now Require.com, was that something, this kind of brokerage process that you were also experiencing with your previous venture through, you know, through exiting it? I mean, absolutely. If you if you think about just the amount of books on marketing, fundraising, development, compared to how many books there are to actually sell your business, arguably the most important part of the founder's journey. I believe there's like three books, maybe. <laughs> like so, I also just saw a huge just gap in the market, and then also 
after going through, you know, a few acquisitions myself, um, I remember when business apps closed, I had so many friends reach out to me asking just basic questions like what's due diligence? What was the legal process? How'd you find the buyer? Like that was a big question. Like, how do you find the buyer? Like what? I thought Google should just shows up and gives you a check. Like, and so that was another moment where I was like this, I feel like the startup ecosystem as a whole could really benefit from this. So to answer your question, yeah, it's also kind of scratching my own itch of, you know, could this actually be a viable business model where it's, it's a private marketplace. You can list your startup and suddenly meet buyers. And then from there, we built tools to make the legal process easier, due diligence a little easier, just finding a buyer a lot easier and a number of different things. And we're going to keep kind of chipping away at that whole acquisition timeline until every step is just you know, really, really easy all the way down to setting escrow and, and, and close. So it seems you have a very long roadmap with Acquire.com. You really have plans to grow this or raise venture money for this. But one thing you really talk about on Twitter, as you know, we reached out to you on Twitter. Talk about this idea of swinging small versus swinging big, you know, bootstrapping versus going for this venture capital fundraising. Why did you think Acquire.com was finally, you know, the right time instead of bootstrapping, go big in, in your words? Good question. So... Venture capital really is is just a tool. I think you know one of the 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 worst um, misuses of venture capital is when you start a business and then you the first thing you think you have to do is go download YC's pitch deck and then go fill that thing out and then like when you raise money you got to go get in TechCrunch and then you got to go raise more money from investors. To me, that's just this silly narrative that. I think um, too many people fall into and don't realize, you know, building a startup is, is really, really hard. And the purpose of venture capital is just to accelerate what you're already doing. So given I already had a prior exit and this one, I wanted to really just see how far I could take it. I got some good partners on board and it just made sense. But for a lot of businesses, it does not make sense. It does not make sense whatsoever. And I think if you're considering just doing a startup in general, I always recommend try bootstrapping at least to a half million. And if you can't bootstrap to a half million, no amount of entry capital is going to save you, in my opinion. I know what you're saying, but also I, I want to just go back to a second about the, the concept of Acquire.com democratizing this, kind of like the brokerage marketplace, right? Like buying selling startups. There, I think, has been a mass trend in the, in the last couple of years about democratizing the space in general. Right, like we see platforms like Startup Engine, for example, um, right, making like investing in startups a lot, a lot easier. Even kind of at the micro level, pun intended. Even at the micro level, right, like like Kickstarter and something like that. How do you, as Acquire.com, like cut through the crap though? At the end, you know, like how do you sift through the startups on your end to make sure that people aren't just like trying to Uber build to Uber sell? How do you how do you amplify that due diligence process at least on, on the platform? We have a number of integrations, like the most important one would be financial integration. So we can integrate with any sort of billing system to verify, you know, the actual financial health of the business. You can connect um, Google Analytics to see just, you know, general search traffic. But we do curate and vet every single listing. So we reject probably, we have around like 4,000 startups that sign up per month and that kind of dwindles down to 200 listings. This is the peak for, for making this landscape more accessible and more democratic for entrepreneurs, right? Like, especially just coming off the topic of not having to raise a shit ton of money and, and bootstrapping and now 
you know, you have this wonderful platform where you can buy and sell a lot easier. Like, is this the peak for democratizing entrepreneurship or like what else needs to be done to make it, I guess, more accessible, I would feel? That's a great question. I mean, I think there's, there's always different tools to build that just makes making products easier. And that's always a, a big area. I, I think it's, you know, a big part, you know, and maybe you've noticed this on Twitter. I think it's just motivation too. Just so many people are afraid to like step into entrepreneurship and like really give it a shot. You can have all the tools, you can have all the books, you can have all the, all the mentorship, whatever. But, you know, if you're not motivated and you don't have, you know, the courage to kind of take that leap, you're never going to do it. So I would say, you know, that's kind of the area I like to, to play in a lot. Uh, uh, just a random tweet or something on LinkedIn that might inspire someone to build a company or sharing kind of what I've been doing that's been working for me to maybe help inspire one person to to build a company. But I think everybody has all the tools to some degree. I think from here, the tools will just get better. I really just want to push back on that point a little bit because as you know, me and Kark just got from Northwestern. We know plenty of people that have ideas, want to jump into entrepreneurship, but they more so don't know what that first step is, especially those that are, you know, computer scientists, technical co-founders. And a lot of the ideas are nowadays just like in software, automating, acquire.com is a SaaS platform. You're, you're building a marketplace. So if you're really a non-technical founder, what is your first step nowadays? You can go to a no-code builder, but that can only get you so far. You're saying not to fundraise at the same time. So say you're even able to manage to build an MVP using and no code software. What is the next step from there? Go get a job. I'm not technical. I don't know anything. So when I uh, launched business apps, uh, that job board was uh, pre-built script. I paid to have someone upload it to a server. I learned basic HTML to customize it. I hustled my ass off to get people to find the website by commenting on other blogs when commenting on blogs was the thing. Uh, anything iPhone related. I was like, if you have an iPhone app idea, go here. And then with business apps, again, uh, non-technical founder, no co-founders, uh, no capital. So I sold the job board to have, you know, a little bit of capital, maxed out a credit card too, like a responsible college student. And I had a template that looked like shit, like only I could understand it. And what I would do is I would just, you know, I, I taught myself graphic design. And so I was able to just basically enter in content and stuff like that uh, to get the apps live. And then I, I'm a PC person, so I had to buy a MacBook to figure out how to upload iPhone apps. So I learned that too. So when I hear that stuff, I just say, uh, you're not an entrepreneur, go get a job. Like, cause real entrepreneurs, like you just figure this shit out and you don't make excuses. You don't make excuses. Like I need a technical co-founder. I need like money to build this product. I need this, I need that. Like, if that's kind of where you're starting, that's where you're always going to be. You're going to just be like, I don't have enough customers. I'm not growing fast. Mm -hmm. But what you're not doing is, I'm going to go get more customers. I'm going to grow faster. I'm going to find that person. Like, an entrepreneur just kind of makes the impossible happen. So I think, yeah, when I hear those things, like, like sometimes on Twitter, I'll hear, like, easier said than done. I'm just like, yeah, you're... Like, like you're, it's, uh, it's not going to happen for you because you got to make this shit happen. Like, it's not going to be, it's never perfect for any entrepreneur. Like, ne no entrepreneur is like a perfect, like, shape, technical, has sales, has capital. Um, like, there's always going to be something that you just have to figure out on your own. And that's what entrepreneurship to me is. 
And I think that's one thing that um, just entrepreneurship in general is just kind of lost. It's sort of this this grit of just, you just go and get that shit done. You don't make excuses. You don't say, I can't get started because I don't have X, Y, Z. Because someone else before you has been in your exact situation and has figured it out. And so it's just when those excuses creep in your mind, go get a job. Like, just go get a job, figure it out for five years, maybe learn some stuff at some company, which is actually a really viable path, too. I'm not saying that to be, like, rude, but maybe you need a little bit of time to kind of see how businesses are built, or you do need a little bit of time to save up money. But if you're, like, a hardcore, like, like literally entrepreneur, you'll just figure that shit out. Like, it's you just find a way, you know? It's not like... Here's your entrepreneurship starter pack with like a co-founder and like a seed, like a angel investor, some shirt that says, I made it. It's, it's just, it's so much more work than people understand. I think every, every successful entrepreneur I've met, they just get it done. You know, they just, you just don't have an off switch. You got a problem, you go and fix it. And then you move on to another problem. And another point I'll add too is as an entrepreneur, like your whole job, this is just, fixing problems and then again going back to you know how i got an entrepreneurship you know just loving that the game you know the game of business it's not fair it's not easy you don't get everything actually what you get is you get like in monopoly you go to jail like 10 times not literally but like you're constantly faced with setbacks you're constantly faced with things that you know, another company has that you don't have, a competitor pops up. It's just, it's just a life of just solving problems. I think when you change your perspective to, I'm going to solve these problems, that's, that's my job. Um, you really start focusing on the problem rather than the excuse, I guess. Were there any times where acquired.com was on the brink of failure for a problem that you fixed? This might be the one that's over. And candidly, no. Given this has been my 10th company or something, like, I, I I keep a journal where I write down, like, big problems. And every month I update, it's just things that are going right, things that, you know, I'm concerned about, and five things I'm grateful for. And I've noticed, like, every time there's a problem, I check back in 30 days and it's it's generally fixed. But I would say the the early days. So you know, going back to your your buddy who's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not technical and I don't have all this stuff. So when I when I first launched MicroQuarry, it was it was just me, and I bootstrapped the company to about seven hundred thousand in annual recurring revenue on my own. So I did all product management, all sales, all marketing. I wrote all the newsletters. I vetted every listing. I did all customer support. If you don't want to bet that bad, it's just you're, you're going to compete against someone who does. And so, you know, that's, that's that I bring that up because that was maybe a time where we could have failed if I burned out. But again, I love the game of business so much. It was just whenever I had free time, I'm like, I'm just going to work on my startup. I'm just going to work on my startup. So it's, there, there's a saying, you know, people that do the best, like athletically just don't have an, an off switch. And I, I, I didn't necessarily have to do that, but COVID had just hit and I really wanted the startup to work. And so you kind of need to have that sort of drive or you have this like big goal and you have like, you know, something behind you that maybe it's like, you know, fear of failure or it's just, you know, this insane just thing pushing you just to not 
stop and then you're insanely focused on that goal that so basically big goal chip on shoulder and then extreme focus that's kind of the, the three traits of really successful entrepreneurs i'm curious too on on that note there are challenges and then there are kind of dead ends and you've talked about you know in previous ventures you can only go so far until you think maybe there's a dead end and like that's the point you sell it at what is like what this grander future vision for acquire obviously you know acquire.com it is huge it's become very successful like what's this much larger vision because it could be there are a lot of founders who you know build to sell right like they build a product that they they want to sell to the marketplace what's that vision for acquire you know i don't know if it's just to you know to build to to sell but like what's the grand vision i i always joke i'm like a unpaid volunteer for for acquire because even we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we still have a ton, a ton, a ton of work to do. A ton of you know product that we want to build, things that we're building now. A lot of a lot of the, the functionality too is is hard to get right. By no means do I let my team think for a minute that we're we're successful. Like we we've helped a lot of entrepreneurs. We have so much farther we want to go. And so that could mean entering main street businesses at one point. That's kind of like the 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 big carry out the hack, the big hairy audacious goal is kind of becoming the Zillow for M and A where all businesses were able to help sell. I think that would be uh, an awesome goal to reach. So it's not ending for you is is the key here. Like whatever the future is for acquire.com, Andrew Gazdecki has another founding story in his future, or at least Medic. I think this is kind of my last one. You know, I think this this will be my my last startup. Yeah, I because I could just see myself running for the next you know decade because I love startups. If you haven't noticed, I love chatting up with entrepreneurs like you both. I love you know meeting other founders, helping them, inspiring them. I enjoy what I'm working on. I enjoy the people I'm working with. I enjoy the customers that we serve, and it's it's really rewarding too when people sell a business and it materially changes their life. They can buy a house. So now I guess my goal is to just mint as many millionaires as I possibly can. I think Acquire.com is just the ultimate platform to let me do that for thousands of people. And half of our business is international too. So we're able to help people in different countries like sell a small application for $50,000 where that is meaningful money. There was an acquisition this individual had that was like a quarter million or something like that. He told me that was like 10 years of like living costs he lived in bali so now he had 10 years to kind of build his next big thing i thought that was really cool and so um there's a there's a lot of things about this business that i'm extremely grateful for and yeah i would say you know we're just getting started i do want to ask one last question that we ask everyone has it been like through all these startups you know all this grit all this grind some like routine you mentioned the notebook earlier about your biggest failures that's really kept you grounded through this whole process uh you know i don't do ice baths i literally wake up i i usually will try and get some workout in oh oh i do do this weird thing i'll, I'll share it with you guys i'm a big believer in just having a positive mindset because startups are so hard like you'll be stressed out you'll feel like you're behind or something like that. And I think one way to put things into perspective is just how awesome real life is. Like imagine if you were just born a hundred years ago, it'd be like gone through the you know, Spanish flu and like great depression and like world war one, world war two. So we got it, we got it easy. Then one thing, I don't know why I do it, but in the morning, usually like 
closing my eyes and try to think of a memory that makes me laugh. And it gets hard if you do this every day. And so today I was reminiscing on a time when me and my buddies put like duct tape across the street. So when cars run over, it feels, it sounds like they pop their tire and they pull over. It kind of brings you back. And then you kind of just wake up with like a little bit of laughter. So I would do that. And then at my previous startup in the car ride over to my office, I'd just listen to stand up comedy. Just to, and I still do that. Anytime I'm like going to speak somewhere or meet with some people, I'll listen to stuff. So something that makes me laugh and puts me in a good mood rather than like Drake or something like that. So those are like two things, just something that makes you laugh. And then also like trying to make my teammates laugh, you know, because I really believe laughter just does something to you that just cheers you up. It's hard to have a bad day when you're laughing. So it's safe to say that positivity in many forms is just essential to what you do. I believe that you can engineer happiness in like your head, you know, whether you're bummed out or whatever it is, like, you know, you can overcome that by having a good laugh. Andrew, this has been so fantastic. Sonal and I have obviously been tweeting at you for forever to get you to come on, and we are so grateful that you finally did. Thank you so much for joining us. But as always, I'm Cracker Calloway. I'm Zyla Seth. And this is Uninvested. Thank you. This is a personal video. Any views or opinions represented in this video are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations we may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. The views expressed are for entertainment purposes only and not to be misinterpreted as actionable investment advice.